Welcome to the AMP Podcast. Here's your host, Shane Michelli. On today's show, we're going to talk about leadership, or, or more specifically, multi-generational leadership, and how you as a leader can take the examples and experiences that you've seen and you've had and use that to help build up other leaders and then make sure they're equipped to, to do the same. So that's how you, you propagate this multi-generational leadership. Now, it's important just as we get started to, to kind of outline that to create a leader, you know, A, not everyone is cut out to be a leader, and, and we're going to leave that for a different discussion. But for today, we're going to assume that everyone you encounter is cut out to be a leader. It's not as easy as just telling them how to be a leader. You can't just give them a book on how to be a leader. So we're going to go through seven best practices. Now, it could be 30 best practices, but these are seven of what I consider the best practices that either I've utilized or I've seen others use. Now, for the last several decades, I've been in the, the business world, but I actually got started. My, my business journey started back in the horticulture industry, and my mentor that has kind of given me a platform that has made me who I am today, uh, that's where I, I connected with him. And so I'm going to go back to the, to the garden center industry and tell just a kind of a quick setup or story uh, that I have been able to utilize throughout my career in, in ways of identifying what am I really producing. And so if, you, if you're familiar with the, the, the world of horticulture or gardening at all, this may resonate with you. If not, I'll, I'll explain it a little bit. But as you, as you look in the, in the world of, of plant reproduction, you know, you have uh, controlled environments where they grow things from clone or tissue culture or seed or what have you. But in the wild, you'll have what's called a volunteer. And a volunteer is when a plant uh, drops its seed or it, it, it allows itself to reproduce without any aid from you. So the, it's just called volunteer. So if you've, if you've planted a garden before, you'll, you'll always, the next year, you may not plant that same plant, but you'll get some of them that pop up. And so those are, those are plants doing what they do. And those volunteers, when they come up and they grow, they're completely self-sufficient. So they share the same characteristics, DNA, parentage as the, the plant that produced them. They may be some slight variations, but they, they really are they're the same plant, you know, it's just, it's just the volunteer. Now, the other thing that you'll see sometimes in the gardening world is what we call suckers. And these are things that, you know, kind of, if you think about it from a, a, a parasitic type um, thought process, these are things that grow from the parent plant. And they, they either grow up from the, a root or they grow up from the trunk or the stalk or whatever, but they're called, they're called suckers because they can't survive on their own. They have to be attached to the parent. And if you remove them from the parent, they die. So these are two examples that of, of the quote-unquote reproduction, if you will, or production of another plant. And they can be related to people in the world of leadership. You can, you can look at that and say, as a leader, am I producing volunteers? So am I producing people that share my values, my, my leadership DNA, there may be some variations, and that's, that's actually good, but, but they, they're self-sufficient, they're self-sustaining, 
and they they can grow and then produce their own volunteers? Or as, or as a leader, are you producing parasites or suckers? They have to be attached to you. They, they can't live on their own. And, and sadly, many, many, many times, suckers are not a result of the, of the person being mentored or led. It's really a, a result of just bad leadership. And it may not be that you're a bad leader. It's just you're using bad tactics. So if you find leaders who are very controlling, if you find leaders who um, dictate everything, you know, then a lot of times the people they produce are suckers. So when you remove them, the suckers die. So you're really not reproducing anything. So as a leader, what I want to do is identify how do we create these volunteers? How do we create these people that share in our leadership DNA, but yet are completely self-sufficient and have the ability to become what they want to become? So in that being said, we're going to jump into the seven best practices. And I'm going to go back to the to the world of examples and things that you probably have heard before. But the first the first way, and this is how you know you found a person that has leadership capabilities, is by identifying your thermostats. Now, the the world of thermostat and thermometer has been used over and over and over again in leadership, and for good reason, because it's true. There are people, and if you've never heard it, for your benefit, what that means is, if you think about a thermometer, a thermometer just reflects the temperature in the room. So if you if if you have someone in the room, if you're hot, they're hot. If you're cold, they're cold. They don't they don't take any there's not any active behavior or active control of the environment. They're literally just going to adjust to the environment. And thermostats are exactly what it sounds like. They set. So you want it hotter, you want it colder, you want to change the environment in the room, thermostats are who you turn to. So when you're looking for people to mentor as leaders and to, and, to, and to pass on your leadership DNA, then you need to identify someone who's a thermostat. If you identify a thermometer and you know they're a thermometer going in, it's not their fault if they become a sucker because they are only going to move with the environment. If the environment changes, they change. They can't be separated from that. So that's the number one thing is you got to pick the right people. If you pick the wrong people, then the next six best practices will not matter. So let's identify your thermostats. The second piece, and this is one that has become so prevalent today, we've become such a me, me, me generation. Look at me, look at what I can do, look at what I can accomplish, look at how awesome I am, that it's no wonder why the people around us, uh, whether it's our kids, our coworkers, or whoever, uh, struggle to follow our lead because all we talk about are our trophies. If you want to produce good multi-generational leadership, you have to quit talking about the trophies and you have to start talking about the game. Because, see, in that game, it was not a foregone conclusion that you were going to win. Throughout that game or that series, you may have had some wins and some losses. You may have had points scored on you. You may have missed the field goal. There's all those things that happened that you learned from and you adjusted your game plan based off the outcome that you wanted and the in the conditions that you were facing. You were being a thermostat. You were changing the game. You were changing how you approached the game, how you played the game. Well, in today's world, 
All we want to do is talk about our trophies. We want to talk about the awards we've won, the positions we've achieved, the salary we have, the car we drive. It's it, it's so trophy-focused, it's no wonder why the, this many in this generation turn to social media and, and talk about you know, the trophies. They talk about their trophies, even though they may not even have earned any trophies. They're making trophies up. So after you've identified step one of identifying the thermostats, the next thing you need to do is talk about the game. Talk about how you adjusted to those conditions and those things so that, that you can instill some principles in, in that leader that you're training or mentoring so they'll understand that there's going to come times when they need to do that too. Okay, the, the, the next piece, and, you know, I guess this could be really three and four or however you want to look at it, but the first one, I mean, this one is, you know, you need to dictate the goal, not the journey. And all too often, uh, you know, if, if you think back to, you know, when you first started in the workforce, if you're a leader, you know, who, who mentored you, how you were led, how do you know if someone has leadership capabilities or how do you know what kind of critical thinker they are? And, and that's kind of where four and three and four kind of are in one because that other piece, that number four would be critical thinking. But, but in that, how do, you, how do you know if someone has that ability to, to plan and to, and, to, and to work their plan? Well, the way you do that is you dictate the goal. You don't sit and write a work list and tell them step one, step two, step three, step four. You just say, we want to end up here. And I remember years ago when I was working with Lowe's, they sent us through this management training, and we had a whole entire section on conflict management. And, and the way one of the, the instructors presented it was conflict does not necessarily mean you have opposing outcomes. It generally means you share the same outcome with opposing views of how to get there. That's applicable in today's political world and, and even family life, et cetera. Is, and, and, and the reason why he stated that was if you have opposing goals or if you're, if you're aiming for two different things, then your paths may never cross. Therefore, you'll never have conflict. But if you, if you both have the same goal, but different preferred methods on how to get there, that's when you hit conflict. So I think it's important that we, as, as leaders and mentors, we, we identify the goal because we're, we're basing that off of our experience and the things that we've seen. But once we share that goal, find out that we have this alignment with the person we're mentoring, let them develop a journey. And, let them build a plan. Now, I didn't say let them go work it. I just said let them build it. Don't, don't dictate it to them. Because that step three and four come in because now you're asking them to critically think, take into account the environment, take into account the resources available, take into account the desired outcome, and take all of that and put it together and build a plan which then leads you to best practice number five, which is be authentic, be intentional in listening to that plan. Critique it if you hear areas that you know from experience may not work. 
Don't overhandle their plan. Listen, be intentional about, um, and be very specific if you have to critique. But more importantly, give them the resources and assistance needed to allow their plan to come to fruition. And what I mean by that is help them row the boat. Yes, you may have wanted to take an airplane and they wanted to take a boat. Once they explain why they chose the boat, help them row the boat. Make sure they have a good paddle. Make sure that their boat is seaworthy. Because if you do that, that doesn't necessarily dictate success. You're not, you're not guaranteed success. But what you are guaranteed is they have a sense of accomplishment because you've allowed them to share their vision, align with your goals, and critically think through the scenario, build a plan, and, and now they're presenting that plan to you because in the future they're going to have to be presenting that plan to those that they're leading. So if they can present that plan to you, that is practice for them presenting the plan in the future to others. Then you're going to go alongside them and make sure that that plan has every chance to be successful. You've given them the resources and you're, you're, you're helping them and you're correcting them along the journey and you're showing them that when you enter the game, things change. And it's never going to be about staying and holding fast to that exact tactic. You just want to hold fast to that exact strategy. So the strategy is the, is the prevailing um, charter. The tactics are the things that make up that strategy. And sometimes you do have to change the tactics. But that's where you, you mentor people. Change the tactics, not the strategy. Change the tactics, not the goal. Change the tactics not the prevailing and overall plan for reaching that goal. Okay, so so now that you've gone through, you found your thermostats, you've you've shared your experiences by talking about the game, you've kind of left the trophies out of it, you've dictated and aligned on the goals, you've allowed them to have some critical thinking, you've authentically and intentionally listened, you've given them the resources they need, the support they need, and you've gone alongside them to incorporate this plan. Next is going to be the achievement of outcomes. So number six is reward success, but don't severely or overly punish failure. Now, if it's egregious, if somebody knowingly did something, they went against everything that you had told them or they went outside the boundaries that you had lined out, then obviously there needs to be some corrective action. But we have built a generation that is so scared of failure in the workforce, and it's not their fault. It's because they, people get browbeat. They get, they, they, they get berated if they don't win every time. You're not going to win every time. As a matter of fact, the best lessons I've ever had personally have come from losses. Because once you get burned, a lot of times that won't happen again. It's sometimes hard to replicate success, but it is usually very easy to to, to navigate and steer failure if you know what caused that failure. So don't overly punish failure. Accept it. Learn from it. Talk about it. Dissect it if you need to. Use that to, to, to launch into how do we get to success. But if they feel good about that, if they feel good that they put this plan in place and they've gone through all these other steps and 
it didn't work out, you're going to help them figure out why it didn't work out. That way, you're again, you're developing their critical thinking. And sometimes it's going to fail through no fault of their own. They did everything right, but the external conditions changed. You know, and, and, a, and a good example of that is um, whether you want to use COVID or you want to use the recent job market layoffs, you know, people weren't doing bad jobs during COVID, but when everything shuts down and there's no commerce happening, then if you're a land-based business, if you're a brick-and-mortar business, you probably had some struggles and and you probably failed at some of your initiatives that you started pre-COVID because the environmental conditions changed. The same way with there are many great people who've lost their jobs recently in layoffs, not because of anything that they've done, not because of their specific failure, but because the macro environment has changed. So that's why it's important to to teach these critical listening um, skills to them as you and then that translates to critical thinking skills. Okay, so now we've gotten through those first six best practices or six steps. We've talked about failure. So what do you do if it when it does work? Because ultimately the hope is that they're either successful in their first try or they're successful with the with the retry. And I can tell you this is the one that will undermine the entire previous six steps. And that is if you've been a leader that has been a part of that journey, I don't care how big a part of that journey you were, when success occurs, pass off the praise. Don't talk about your efforts. Don't. And we see this all the time, right? We see this a lot in, in politics. You'll see a politician get up and they'll they'll say, well, I've instructed my office to do such and such and such and such and such and such. They may not have a clue what really happened, but they're saying it as if their instruction, they're telling their office to do that. Somehow or another is what made the difference not the smart people who were in that office who already saw it, and they were the ones that alerted the politician to the problem. And I'm not saying that's all politicians, but we know the politicians out there that that have that problem of not being able to pass off the praise. Everything is about what they did and how awesome they are. Leaders have that same quality sometimes. And, and look, I've been guilty of that. You know, you, you were a part of the process. You were a you were, you were mentoring that person, and then it just works out really, really well, right? It's a great outcome, and you want to raise your hand and say, now, you, you're not necessarily saying other people didn't help, but you're making sure that when they interview somebody for the great outcome that you're the one on the interview. Pass that off. It's okay to be a part of that, but make sure that that person who you have mentored and you have guided and you have trained and you have led through these previous six steps let them feel that victory. Let them celebrate that victory. A, because it helps them and their confidence. Understanding all that they went through could lead to something because there are going to be some lumps along the way and they need that confidence buildup. But number two, the peers that are around them, the people that they may be leading in the very near future, see those wins, and that gives them confidence in the leader. Because we've all been in situations where we've seen someone put in as our quote-unquote boss, our leader, and like last week, you you know what they were doing. 
You know, they haven't they haven't they haven't shown the the company or the or the organization that they have any of the skills needed to be a leader. They were just put in place. And it could have been seniority, it could have been favoritism, or it could have been, you know, well intentioned, but they didn't have the support of the team. You have to have support of the team. So by passing off that praise, you build up the confidence in the person that you're mentoring. And more importantly, you're letting the team, the people that they may be leading in the immediate future, see them. And therefore, they have some confidence in their leadership. So again, if you want to think about it, going back to the beginning, volunteers or suckers, as a leader, what have you produced more of? Volunteers or suckers? If you want to produce more volunteers, you've got to identify your thermostats. You've got to talk about the game and not the trophies. You've got to dictate the goal, not the journey. You need to allow critical thinking skills to be developed. You need to authentically listen and incorporate their plan and towards the, the outcomes. You can't severely punish failure, and you have to celebrate success. And lastly, when, when the, out, the desired outcome is reached as a leader, you have to make sure you pass off that praise to others. And it's critical that you go through those steps and follow it that way. If you think about, if you, if you, if, as a leader, if you're thinking about your value, so let's be selfish as leaders for a minute. If you look back in, and I don't care if we'll use the animal world for as an example, if you think about animal breeding, whether it's dogs or cows or horses or whatever, a great specimen is a great specimen, right? But, but those animals that have the highest value are not just because they're great specimens. It's, the, it's known as being proven. It means they have produced offspring that was equal to or superior to what they were. And the more generations of offspring that are produced, the, that lineage, if, that, if there is a continuation of same or better, then the value of that parentage, the value of the person who started that, that initial animal, that initial specimen, continues to increase. It's the same way in leadership. If you want to increase, if you want to be selfish for a moment and increase your value as a leader, increase the value of the leaders that you produce. Because when when they are able to produce other leaders, and, and then it all goes back to who mentored who, where that came from. So, again, there's there, there could have been a thousand different ways to go with this. Uh, leadership and mentoring is such a weighty topic and a big topic that it's uh, if there is no right or wrong. These are the areas that I've utilized. I've been able to mentor other people. I've been mentored with a lot of these same techniques. I still have people mentoring me and reminding me of these techniques. So get out there today. Look at your look at the people you've produced. Is it volunteers or suckers? And no matter what it is, start producing more volunteers. Let the parasites go. Increase your leadership DNA and increase your ability to create multi-generational leaders. Have a great week.